0: Hola, Tex and welcome to the very first episode of Pero What the que? the podcast where we talk about all those things that just make you go, "What is that?" With your host Mariela, also known as Ay Dios Mariela. So let's get it started. Vamos. Hola, a todos, and welcome to Pero What the. Que? with your host mariela also known as adios mariela welcome everybody to this podcast where we're gonna address a little bit about everything it is going to be a roller coaster ride because you never know what we're gonna talk about but we're gonna have all the topics so that way if you're somebody coming in here trying to learn more about a community trying to learn more about a movement trying to learn more about identifiers, trying to learn more about experiences, trying to help yourself out, trying to navigate the systems, trying to make sure you're doing right by you and right by your friends, right by your community. I think this is the place for you. And if you're trying to have fun along the way, I'm here for it. Because <laughs> you know we're gonna about about to get into some serious seriously funny experiences, at least the way I view my experiences. That's how I cope. That's how I get through. So this podcast is definitely for you if you're about that life. So this episode is going to be centered a little bit more about some of my experiences, who I am, so you guys can get a better feel about what I've been through, how I see the world, you know, and how I navigate the world right now, especially with everything that we've seen for the last four years. (laughs) ah, oh, it almost seems unreal at times, like, where am I? But this is also America, so not surprised. Um, But also, too, I think what's important is for you guys to get a better feel for my perspective. And maybe, you know, you might not have the same perspective or values that I do, but I think it's important to hear from people who might not, be like you and maybe again we can just get a better understanding for each other so let's get first into some of my identifiers some of the things that i identify with um so i am a first generation latinx pansexual polyamorous non-binary and pretty spiritual person so to break that down let's start from the very top numero uno first gen first generation so what that means is that both of my parents are immigrants so my mother came over at a young age from argentina and my father came from venezuela he was a little bit older and they both came over to the us and then they had our family and we were the first generation to be born in the united states and As I mentioned, they're from Argentina, Venezuela representa, Papa, and that is why I identify as Latinx. Now, the X, usually people will say they're Latino or Latina, but because I'm non-binary, I identify as they, them. I don't just identify with she, her, or he, him. I add the X at the end to make it more gender neutral. So sometimes people will also add an E, so Latin instead of Latinx. It really just depends on where you're from, how you speak Spanish. It's it's really much of a preference at that point. I think what the important aspect is, is to remind ourselves that language is very gendered, and Latinx takes away that gender and just identifies more as a, a Latin person. Um, so for me, that's really important. Knowing where I come from, you know, living in Venezuela, I got a really amazing opportunity to go to school there for some of middle school and high school. And, you know, living also too in Argentina for, you know, a couple months was really amazing and a really, really insightful experience. And I think those are two important identifiers for me because. I find that it's important to know your roots, and honestly, it's a privilege to know your family history and to know your roots and where you come from, so I think it's important for me to also make sure that as I'm preaching that to people and how there are other people who don't even have that opportunity to know where they come from, that I do know where I come from, I do know my culture, and I do understand the struggles and plights that they go through and how you know, much privilege I have to be in the U.S. as well. Because even though we all know the U.S. ain't so, so great, it's, you know, got its perks here and there, you know. And then going right into non-binary, as I said, I identify as they them. So if you're referencing to me, all that I ask is I use they, them. I'm somebody who doesn't mind terminology, like queen, king, things like that, dude, girl. Like those things are things I grew up with and those things for me are gender neutral, even though they are technically by direct definition identifying men and women. But for me, I feel like you can go to anybody. One of my coworkers definitely did not like it because I, I would go up to them and say, girl, did you hear what this person said today to me? Ah! And so, what you're expressing that, you know, but I think for me, those are more gender neutral terms, regardless. So, for me, that's all that I ask in terms of being non binary is just respecting my pronouns. And being a polyamorous and pansexual person, polyamory, I think, gets a bad rap because we see a lot of polygamy. And what we see a lot of times with polygamy is a lot of male-centered polygamy. So a man being able to marry whoever he wants, you know, have as many wives as he wants. And usually what we see is women not allowing or the man not allowing the women to go off and have their own partners as well besides him. Whereas polyamory is where everybody's kind of in on the pie, right? So we all get the opportunity to say, hey you're my primary partner, but I really like this person too. I wanna to develop something with them. And that could be any kind of relationship as long as everybody's in the know. We all know what the expectations are. We all know who's who. Like Those are the really important pieces of polyamory is the communication aspect of it. And that'll definitely be another episode too. And pansexual, for me, pansexual, bisexual, It if you're not queer or part of the queer community, and you are cis and heterosexual, I find it does become a kind of like, a well, doesn't this mean bisexual is only male and female? Whereas bisexual and pansexual can at times mean the same thing. It just really depends on the person. For me, I prefer pansexual because usually people don't know what that is. And I can help them see the definition in the way that I identify rather than just being like oh you're pense- uh, you're bisexual so you only like boys and girls whereas for me it's no 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 I don't need to know what's going on downstairs mommy <laughs> I really don't unless we're about to get into that conversation and going to lead to a certain few things you know with the bodies and everything <laughs> I don't need to know that because that's none of my business that's none of my business it doesn't really matter to me about what's happening downstairs it matters more to me about who you are, what your values are, where your perception on communities and life is, as opposed to, you know, what's going to happen in the bedroom. Cause you don't know if that even is going to happen when sometimes when you go on a date, when you get there, you're already ready to go. (laughs) After sitting down and having a few sips of your water and you hear the person talk and you're just like, wow, you're not the same person I spoke to via the interwebs. And that happens and that's okay, because, you know, sometimes people ain't catfishing with their physical appearance, they catfishing with their fucking mentality, bro. Get me out of here. Anywho. I digress. <laughs> so that's a little bit more about my identifiers, just so y'all have a better understanding of where I'm coming from in terms of those identifiers in particular. Um, and then to get a little bit more into my experiences as a child, as a preteen, as a young adult. So y'all can get to know me a little bit more kind of see where the crazy comes from. <laughs> but also, too, to help you guys kind of identify some of those things that weren't normal, some of those things that were abuse, some of those things that, you know, just weren't OK for you to go through or you, thinking that you had to go through them to be a good person because nobody should have to go through trauma and abuse to be a good person, point blank, period. But also, too to let you know that you're not alone, to let you know these things get better, uh, to let you know you can get through it and that you will get through it. Hell yes, you will. Hell yes, you will. (laughs) I can guarantee you that we will get through this. (laughs) Um, But so a little insight into my family, Um, my parentals, uh, I don't really like to call them, mother and father to be honest it's a personal thing it's a you know not having a relationship with them thing um just to be a little vulnerable with you guys But oh, my family is a big family um I have six uh brothers and sisters between my parents and my uh parents Gerardo he has kids with other women too so there are siblings that I don't really know I know a few of them but Not really to the extent that I would wish to. Um, And then my other parents, she has since remarried. So we got some lovely, lovely additions to the family. (laughs) Uh, If you want to call it that. But growing up with six kids is definitely an interesting experience. But also being the baby for a while and being the princess, being the queen, the head honcho of the pack, um, you know, having a lot of that power stripped away at a young age, I think is important to kind of look back on and like address because when you have all this power and everybody's kind of looking at you and loving on you and, you know, making you feel like the queen, it's hard to give up that power after a while. And I think understanding too really, what happened was, it wasn't just like power that was, you know, being stripped of me, but the relationship that I had with these, um, you know, with, with this person, with with this person who birthed me. And that was, I think, harder than I started to realize, harder than I realized in the moment. And then I started to realize that in the you know, later years and how much of an impact that has on people. You know, having a relationship completely stripped away and then from being a loving relationship to a very toxic, and abusive relationship. Because after that, you know, being seven or eight, things really took a turn for the worse where there was a lot of fat phobia, there was a lot of homophobia, there was a lot of racism, there was a lot of colorism, there was a lot of mental, emotional, physical abuse. And I think it's really important to talk about these things because it's important for us when we are doing that shadow work, when we're doing that, you know, trauma and abuse acknowledgments and deeming it not normal and deeming it wrong. We have to look at those small intricate details too and how that impacts us in the long run. And listen, I'm not gonna hold anything back. Just to give y'all an example of how things took a turn for the fucking worst. (laughs) Ah, uh, give you a little. T- I laugh because I have to laugh. I, this is part of my coping mechanism. I joke. I make fun. I laugh at these situations now because that allows me to deem them as un- not normal, not natural, not OK. Um, to give you a little bit of insight into what this relationship looks like with this person, she has always, since we were young, wanted us to look all the same. So very very much uniform, co- same colors. We were, we were rocking the Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein family set, you know, from the Marshalls, from Ermal Charles and from Altia Max, and I felt like, you know, absolute shit when I didn't look good in the outfits that she chose for us or you know could fit in them already so that was already a preemptive like oh god how's this gonna turn out I don't know I don't know but I noticed that the outfit that she picked for a holiday which I believe was Easter uh, on the day of did not fit my friends they did not the that was part of the two-piece white Easter set, which was crucial for the family pictures, it did not fit. The skirt did not fit. So I was already in my room having a slight panic attack, knowing what was going to happen, because I had to tell her at some point that the skirt did not fit, and that I couldn't wear the skort, because it wasn't going to work. And... Even through all of that, I still found, I still found the strength to go up to this woman's room in the attic. That was her bedroom, and tell her, hey, it doesn't fit. (laughs) And it's like, what? It doesn't fit. (laughs) I didn't even want to say it out loud. I remember how hesitant I was to say this to her. And I told her, you know, my score doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. I can't wear this. And I just remember being chased around her room, and I swear to God, that woman's intent was to beat the chub off of me. She wanted so badly for me to lose some LBs, some poundage, by pounding into that ass. It didn't work. I still ended up looking like the Michelin man, especially in white. But here we are, you know, some 20 odd years later, and I'm still here. (laughs) So that's the only thing that really matters, I guess. (laughs) Um, But in terms of, internalizing these things, it definitely it definitely pushed me to internalize fat phobia and it definitely affected the way that I saw myself and saw others. So I think, again, when we go back and we look at these situations, we cannot deem them as normal. I I figured that was normal. I figured that, you know, when I was in the Target getting changed in the family dressing room with her and her looking at me and just going, Ay, pero si estás gorda. Which translates to, oh, but you are fat. (laughs) The compliments everybody wants to achieve and wants to receive when one is putting on a $10 dress from Tajay. And. I I definitely thought those things were normal. I definitely thought that parents just did that, especially, you know, the mother-daughter complex that we see all the time. And here I am, a female presenting person, and she really wanted me to be a girl named Jessica who was blonde and white and loved cheerleading and dancing. And here I was wanting to be a football player and wear, you know, jeans and big T's and hoodies, which she did not like. <laughs> So I think looking back and understanding that it's not normal and being able to joke about it helps me with coping. But also if you had a relationship with that person or that caretaker, whoever it was, understanding that that dynamic is not normal. So I think that's why I'm able to bring these experiences to these types of conversations, because that fat phobia changed my perception of people for a very long time and perception of self as well. And I will say she was really good at that. She was really good at just like honing in and making sure that she impacted your self-esteem and confidence on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, As in coming into our room and saying, wow, I didn't know this turned into a bakery. I don't think I've never seen these many rows before. I'm sorry, (laughs) ma'am. (laughs) Ma'am. We are about 10 and my sister must have been at 15 to 15 years That at that point, 10 and 15 years old. <laughs> Excuse me, what? <laughs> Excuse me. And it was always towards, you know, us. So I think it goes back to a lot of the uh, machismo centric culture that we see among Latinx families because it was never a question of, you know, men getting fat, or at least, at least not my experience. My brothers, if they got chubby or fat, it really wasn't as much of an issue as, you know, me and my sister. So I think when you look back on these things, remember, first deem these situations and experiences as not normal at all and again for me laughing is a a coping mechanism and it's a a way for me to release a lot of the hate and a lot of the anger and allow me to keep moving along with my life and honestly fat phobia was rampant but also too I grew up in a household especially after my father left Um, once he moved to Venezuela I was experiencing a lot of homophobia there's a lot of racism going on there's a lot of colorism going on And a lot of that was internalized for a long time, because I remember throughout my teenage years making a lot of poor choices and poor decisions based off of these experiences that I had, because I didn't want to address them. I was too young. I didn't have support. I didn't have people there for me. And honestly, too, I was in a foreign country. I went to Venezuela and did most of my middle school and high school there. And at one point, My parent decided, well, you know, driving from La Finca, the farm, Estado Tachira, which where I was like, we're talking rural, 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 rural. all right, part of the country where there was farms that were about, I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile apart, (laughs) you know, so... In terms of that, he decided, well, let me put this 15 year old, uh, 16 year old uh, in a city by themselves uh, with a landlady, I guess, who lives with them, uh, who was slightly obsessive over them and give them, you know, $20 every two weeks to make do and make some food for themselves <laughs> and understanding that. Things like that, like not having supervision throughout your life is going to affect and impact the way that you function throughout life, right? Like that affected me as a young adult because there were certain skill sets and certain things that I didn't know and that I couldn't apply. So those things set you back. And you have to understand how these things set you back. And understand that now in an age of technology, we are able to identify these experiences as not normal and not beneficial to our future and be like, okay, hey, you living on your own. What did you learn? Not much. (laughs) Who was influencing your life? Other 16 year olds (laughs) or younger. (laughs) And understanding that like Not having a parental figure to rely on for these types of situations and to better understand money, life, to better understand, you know, your own self-discipline and making sure you're going to school and getting your homework done and not just messing around and fucking off to go to swim meets and dance recitals and things because that's what I preferred. I'm I'm a very physical, active person. And I didn't believe that, you know, school is that important, especially not having a parental figure to say, "Hey, you got to do this." And also, too, I'm not even gonna lie, y'all. He was somebody who loved to party. I loved to party. I was 16. What else was I gonna do? And we would go out and party together. That is not normal. That is not normal. Let me just say that again. It is not normal for you and your parent to go out (laughs) on a Thursday night when you got school at 7 a.m. in the morning and go out dancing just until about 1, though. You know, we ain't going to stay it until 4 or 5 like we usually do on a Friday or Saturday, just just to, like, midnight or 1 a.m. or a little later, depending on how good the music is. Like, that's not normal, you guys. And I think when we look back, we have to understand that these weren't necessarily our choices that we made. They were choices made on our parentals, you know, side. And that affected us. And it might be something that we didn't understand was not normal or didn't understand had impacts it impacted us in a negative way. And being able to address those things and like not just bypass them, actually address them, actually work through them and understand that that's not normal. Your parent can be a good supporter and a good friend but your parents should not be going out with you on a Friday night you know at 16 years old in a club drinking like those things were detrimental to my development and I thought oh hey pops just want to go for a party let's go I don't gotta pay for anything because my pops is like that's not normal fun yes so much fun so carefree you know you was being looked out for because he was there every chance he could. Who's that? Who's that? Um, You know, and understanding that these things and these experiences that you go through are just not okay as a young teenager, as, you know, as a young child, wherever you kind of sit in that experience is important for you to understand. So... That for me, I think, was really eye-opening as I got older, that those things were not normal, that that wasn't a type of relationship that benefited me or my future or helped me understand myself or have self-confidence or understanding or set myself up for a better light in which I see myself. And, you know, I think just being like, Hey, (laughs) I'm still a bad bitch, though. And I have grown a lot since then, but I'm also somebody who does not have access to, you know, therapists that can truly understand my situation. I think a lot of us who are in marginalized or oppressed communities understand that because there aren't a lot of people who are in that field, you know, unfortunately, who are able to identify these things as traumatic and these, uh, you know, experiences as like not okay, especially being a queer person of color or, you know, being somebody who isn't necessarily experiencing, you know, homophobia in the same way or fat phobia in the same way or abuse in the same way. Because I think it's different when you're getting just emotional abuse as opposed to emotional, mental, and physical abuse. I'm not a professional, but shit, (laughs) it's like triple the damage, right? So I think understanding those things as well and like what your trauma was like and what those effects can have on people and still searching for resources like a therapist, a psychiatrist, medication it's important to find what works best for you and understanding that it's a trial and error and understanding like those things that you can do in your day-to-day life to help you get to where you wanna be. Because like I said, I don't really have access to it. I recently quit my job of five years and honestly, even when I did have health insurance, (laughs) y'all, it was a joke, it was a joke. All these people out here who saying, well, if you get a job, a good job, they'll give you good insurance. No, they won't. My branch was a branch under a branch of a branch of insurance. (laughs) Try to trace that back and try to see if those therapists fall under your insurance umbrella because they sure don't. (laughs) That's what happens. So I think what's, Also important to understand is your capacity of what you can accomplish with what you have access to, because if you don't have a professional helping you cope and helping you understand the tools and mechanisms that are important for you to be able to excel and succeed in your life, then it's going to be really hard to do it on your own when you're not well versed in these type of psychological you know traumas that happen to you and how you have to overcome them and how you have to work through them and how you have to address them because you don't even know that that was traumatic and I think making sure that you're doing what you can to your capacity in the meantime between time so that you're able to at least function in a way that's beneficial especially right now (laughs) y'all I think we all could use a little bit of extra self-care self-love after those last four years oh Oh, oh my goodness it was just four years of being constantly on the edge I'm on the edge of panic because Velveeta is working real hard Velveeta Voldemort at least jeez. um but so this is just a little bit more insight into me uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode I hope you guys can see a little bit more as to where I'm coming from who I am, what I'm about. I'm about denouncing all of those things I grew up with. I'm about denouncing all of those traumas I grew up with. I'm about helping people understand a little bit better, talk about these things, laugh it off, you know, and work through it in a way that's positive and beneficial for you and those around you so i hope y'all got a lot out of this episode um you know you guys are going to hear from me very soon and just remember how majestical you guys are and remember how wonderful you guys are and le mando mucho amor muchos besos and i will see you guys so very soon all right bye chiquitex Hey, Chiquitex, I hope that you enjoyed this last episode and I truly hope that you are feeling even more majestical than when you first came in. I hope that you guys have an amazing day and don't forget to follow me on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter all under Adios Mariela. See you all in the next episode. Ciao.